0: Nick Offerman, thank you so much for joining us on Port Over. Your fifth book is just out. It's called Where the Deer and the Antelope Play. It is fantastic. It's charming. It's earnest. It's a little pointed, which I really appreciated. And it's, of course, very funny. But it opens with you in Glacier National Park with George Saunders, who we love, and also Jeff Tweedy, who we also love. Going for a walk in the woods so you won't punch anyone in the nose.
1: Yeah, First of all, thank you for laying some nice adjectives on my book. It's, it's strange uh, switching to this medium from performing where generally people tell you pretty quickly by clamping or not uh, how well you've done. It's thrilling when the book is done and smart people read it for the first time and say things like, I liked it. Uh, it's very gratifying. It's easy to uh, feel the frustration that so many of us feel with our fellow humans, and something I try to get across in the book is the the nuance in that conversation is that we are also the humans that people want to punch in the nose. It's like on, in any given conversation, we could vacillate to to the good side or the bad side or on the fence, and it's frustrating. It's part of being a human being and living with others. And so, going outside and walking in nature is one of the ways that I keep my cool so that I don't punch some old lady in the grocery store.
0: (laughs) This is a good plan. And we are the beneficiaries of this. Can we talk about the trip to Glacier because you very smartly chose a national park that had comfy hotel rooms. I love national parks. I'm not a camper. I'm not, I can't. So you pick Glacier National Park, you hire a guide, and you go for a wander, but you also end up asking questions about food supply and what these vistas mean. I mean, you were looking at some of the greatest landscapes in the U.S. And what does that mean?
1: Well, it's, it's funny, uh, taking a step back and looking at that through a, more of a macro lens. The first time I, I went to describe a waterfall when I was writing the book, I thought, what is that about us? We humans that, why is it that if you take a bunch of rock and pile it up high enough, we're absolutely dazzled? (laughs) Or if the weather brings in certain shapes of, of clouds, we fall down in awe. Or if water happens to flow off a hillside, we build a fence around it and charge money to come look at it. So, I guess because I came into the park with this sensibility of, with this assignment really from Wendell Berry of how do we people look at nature, it gave me a great perspective to say, okay, I get it. Like, for whatever inexplicable reason, I am blown away by this scenery. It's astonishing. But let me now examine my looking at. And in doing so, as I said, oh, the biggest. And most glaring fact was this wilderness is so pristine, untouched by human hands. Uh, oh, hang on. Wait a second. We did what now? Oh, there were humans here. Oh, we removed them so that I could walk on this trail <laughs> and gaze in wonder at this waterfall or water plummet, they, as they used to be called. And so, you know, that was sort of the jumping off point was, was saying, how did this get like this and why and for whom? And is that okay? Or is that something we can examine and improve upon? Did we make any mistakes in the way we established our national parks? And can those be repaired?
0: So what did you learn on that walk in the woods and the plunge into the 48 degree water? Uh,
1: Well, I mean, I I learned a lot of things. I, I fortunately had two philosopher troubadour king friends with me. And One of the things that attracts us to each other is our our shared interest in um, improving humanity's tendency toward empathy in the harsh light of, of modern day America, as three middle aged straight white guys, you know, to say, how can we take what we've been given and not try to live like we're in a a music video ending up with cigars or yachts or corvettes or bikini clad women but instead are there greater prizes is there a higher life that we could aspire to than uh, than that espoused by david lee roth in 1986 and so that i think was a great lesson that i would summarize thus we can still have our national parks. We can still maintain and worship at the altar of Mother Nature in these specific settings all around the country and the planet. We can we can jump into incredible glacier melt rivers and have life-changing epiphanies um, while treating one another equitably. Uh, we can. Everything I enjoyed about that trip to Glacier National Park would not be changed one bit if we gave those lands back to the indigenous nations that we took them from, that we brutally stole them from. Uh, if we cop to that and say, you know what, we, we understand what it is in us that caused us to do that, we're still doing it. The whole mess in Afghanistan is a, is a wonderful example of like, we're still not doing great at how we treat other people, depending on location or, or what natural resources they have that we would like. And it's okay. We're human beings. We'll never uh, we'll, we'll never bat a thousand. It's okay to say, okay, we, we did some things right. We did some things very wrong. There's no reason to say that that can't be changed other than shame or like pride that we don't want to let go of but i've i've made a lot of mistakes and i've copped to them and i'm here to tell you it feels a hell of a lot better than keeping a lid on it and saying things like there's not a racist bone in my body (laughs) instead say of course we're all racist we live in a society that was created to benefit land-owning white guys you know, we understand that we're dealing with breaking that down until someday everybody will get a fair shake, but we're far from achieving that. So that's what I learned jumping in the river was we could still jump in the river if this was being run by the Blackfeet tribe.
0: So you believe it is possible for us to change. I mean, you sound slightly hopeful still.
1: Um, My neighbor is helping feed the dogs while I do a press tour on my computer.
0: Oh, is this the legendary Adam?
1: The neighbor.
0: <laughs> that guy is great. May everyone have an Adam in his life.
1: <laughs> Could not. I couldn't believe when we Megan found this house, and and she came here first, and was like, "The next door neighbors, you are gonna shit yourself at this guy." He and he he has not disappointed.
0: Are you hopeful that we can change?
1: I am hopeful. I don't know that I'll ever fully understand if I'm an optimist or just stupid, but when I look at the progress of civilization, particularly vis-a-vis the experiment that is the American democracy, I'm hopeful. I see advancements in my lifetime that I never could have imagined. I uh, I never dreamed that same-sex marriage would have become a banal. It's, it's a yawn by now, like, yeah, duh. You know, weed has become incredibly legal. All the visibility in terms of the, the rights of people of color and women and, and LGBTQ groups, trans rights. I mean, the fact that these are openly being discussed and, and respected by more and more people and the fact that they're so loudly reviled by conservatives who don't think people should change. (laughs) They somehow think we got it all, even though we're human, we got it all right. We baked the perfect cake, so let's not ever mess with the recipe. I'm absolutely hopeful because the, uh, the empathy team seems to keep winning inexorably, bit by bit. It's not gonna happen quickly, it can't happen quickly if it were to happen quickly, it would then collapse. There's probably some great saying that I haven't seen about building a tower or a bridge where if you don't do it stone by stone, it's going to fall.
0: Which brings us to James Rebanks, your buddy in the Lake District in the UK. And you helped him rebuild a stone wall, which is actually very funny because he's looking at you saying, well, mm, yeah, you don't quite have this, but at least you're trying. You like to do the stuff that not a lot of other people like because you're the guy who believes in good hard work.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the part of me that's lucky. I can't, um, I'm 51 years old and and I'm dead sure that I'm not uh, successful because I'm smart or good looking. Uh, but, But I think that I have seen some success because my family instilled a work ethic in me that I was able to combine with my love of entertaining people that, you know, saw me getting paid to build furniture in a shop and, and things like that. And so it's that exact proclivity that led me to befriend James on social media of all places and then go out of my way to go find him and meet him in the far northwest corner of England. And just thrill to the physical labor that he put me through. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, in the same way, like, if that's the initiation into your gang, splitting firewood and, and stacking a stone wall, that's the gang I want to be in. And he, uh, he gets it. You know, that's the fuel of his writing. And in my examination of our problem with consumerism as a, as a species, That's where I find relief is um, in all the ways that I can occupy myself pleasurably that don't cost any money and that, that don't offend the economy of Mother Nature or or at least upset her as little as possible.
0: But James is also working on undoing some of the mistakes that farmers before him had made. Conventional wisdom, we learn things, we evolve, we change. And he's trying to undo some of that and rewild his land and really help his community move forward. It's really exciting to see.
1: It is. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things that had me come running. I actually actually bought a cow th- through James at a sale um, for the book. I, I had intended to then go... Uh, spend time with our herd of Galloway belted cows, and also go in for a, a couple weeks of lambing um, two Aprils ago, which all of those plans were torn asunder by the pandemic. But it's that very thing. It's Again, it's the ability to be culpable and say, we humans are amazing. I mean, we're miraculous. In the world of, of nature's creation, we are the ones who came up with pasta that must be credited. We are absolutely laudable. However, we also came up with Twinkies or Spam. or, And I, and I know some people would uh, honor Spam and, and decry pasta, and, and that's fair. You're, everyone is allowed to like what they like. That's what's one of the beautiful things about us. But while we are miraculous, we also have to cop to being flawed and we will forever be flawed. We will never know all the information there is to know in the universe. And so there is always going to be a large degree of guesswork and mistakes being made. And even if we get a system right, the planet uh, evolves, we evolve. And so in your own relationship, Something that you might get right may, in three to seven years, become wrong. It may become outdated, and that's called maintenance, and it's called stewardship. And that's what uh, thrills James and I and others like us, is that we can say, okay, I take my hat off to the things we've tried. Some of it's worked. Some of it hasn't. So let's uh, take a step back, roll up our sleeves, and keep trying to bat a 1,000, knowing that if we bat 350 that's going to be a pretty a pretty good season
0: okay so i'll see you your pasta i'll raise you a book because if you want to talk about great human inventions the book really sits on top of that list for me
1: nobody has killed the book it's uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what else besides you know sandals and the book those are the, the the two uh unkillable inventions
0: I could live without sandals, but I can't live without books. But I have a question for you because you're a really big reader. And it's clear from this book, it's clear from other interviews you've done. What has reading taught you about writing?
1: Gosh, um, the things the things that language, I, I mean, it, it's the miracle of language. The things that words can do to you in your head. My ability to string a, a collection of words and sentences together and anyone can who can comprehend english from now in perpetuity throughout the universe can you know I, i can communicate something to them in a way in a subjective way that no other medium is capable of that's why the book is always better than the movie even in the case of something as magnificent as lord of the rings i still would have put legolas in a different color tunic that's just me sorry peter and so that magic that alchemy just thrills me. and that's for me, Wendell Berry's writing is my John Lennon or my Bob Dylan or, or my Nina Simone. The way Wendell puts it together sets off fireworks in my head and my heart that makes me then say, maybe I can do that for, you know, 12 to 37 people that uh, will we'll, we'll get the sense of humor I'm laying down while lending absolute reverence to working with my hands and so forth. I'm so grateful to be part of the world of books. And uh, that's what makes me work so hard on them because it's possibly the greatest privilege I've been afforded.
0: The third part of the book takes you and your wife, Megan Mullally, on the road with an Airstream, a very large Airstream, a 30-foot Airstream. You're off to Chicago to see family for Thanksgiving. You're off to Oklahoma to take care of some of Megan's family, but you mentioned that you had an audiobook playlist while you were on the road curated by Megan. Do you remember what some of the highlights were?
1: There's a couple. She, One thing that drives me crazy is Megan is perhaps even a more voracious reader than I am. She kind of majored in English lit and art history for a minute at Northwestern before showbiz said, don't think so and plucked her away <laughs> to delight audiences forevermore but uh the one that the first one that springs to mind is um called bl- 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 sharks in the time of saviors
0: Kawhi strong washburn that is a fantastic book we chose that for our discover pick in march of 20 oh wow i love that book
1: it's so beautiful and um and the audio performance by four i think four uh, narrators we just were transported it was it was incredible. Then a book that that uh, I'm recommending to everyone I can think of, uh, two books actually by Peggy Orenstein, "Girls and Sex" and "Boys and Sex." Good God, why are they not required across the board? If someone had handed me these books when I was twelve or thirteen, I would have become uh, a talented lover and uh, and a generous. Um, and respectful lovemaking partner instead of the ham-fisted clod with which my wife is saddled. Uh, so she made me listen to those twice, actually. Uh, <laughs> they're incredible. We listened to a bunch of Rachel Cusk, uh, I can tell you. And and then finally, the last one I'll, I'll throw out is, um, God, one of my favorite new books that i believe is called leaving isn't the hardest thing by lauren huff just a gorgeous like muscular authentic voice by a, a woman who was raised in a in a cult around the world and then went into the the armed forces and she's gay and so all all of those flavors and her incredibly thick-skinned ability to come out of it all alive and and write it down is, is quite astonishing.
0: Books will never cease to amaze, but I have to hand you back to the rest of your publicity tour because we are at 1151 my time. And I promised your publicist that I would get you done by 10 minutes of. So Nick Offerman, thank you so much for joining us on Port Over. The new book is where the deer and the antelope play. It's on sale now.
1: Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your generosity.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Have a great rest of your tour. I'm going to let you go, though, because you have a long day. <laughs> all right.
2: Thank you. Thank See you. Sir. Hi, and welcome to your TBR top off all the way from Barnes Noble in Northville, Michigan. My name is James.
3: And I am Margie.
2: And thanks for listening to the interview with Nick Offerman. I got to tell you, Margie, I am such a huge fan of Nick Offerman, so much of his work, of course, Parks and Rec. I literally have a Ron Swanson quote hanging up in my kitchen as we speak <laughs> about the fact that any sadness can be cured by breakfast food. And I think that is uh-huh. wisdom for the ages. I am so excited about his new book. I love the national parks and I love Nick Offerman, and I can't wait to read his take on it. So we are here with your TBR top off. We're going to add three books to your reading list today based on the interview you just heard. So Margie has two and then I'll come back with one. So what do you got Margie?
3: Well, today I have two books that I didn't realize until a couple minutes ago, actually are both supposed to take place over the course of one year. So there you go. So my first title is Animal Vegetable Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver. In 2007, best-selling novelist Barbara Kingsolver, along with her husband, Stephen Hopp, and her daughters, Camille and Lily, moved from their home in suburban Arizona to rural Appalachia. They were concerned about the food culture in the United States, and they decide to move to their own farm for one year, procuring their entire diet from locally sourced food, most of which they are producing themselves. The reader gets to hear from all four members of the family, and it follows not just the life on the farm and the gratification it provides, but also the toil and the confusion, the embarrassment and errors. And definitely the accidental hilarity that comes with learning how to live this kind of life. The 10th anniversary edition includes an epilogue from the whole family updating us on how this experience changed all of their lives. The worries about the industrial food industry have really only increased. This is a fabulous place to start if you are interested in how making changes to where you get your food can open up your life and teach you about your community as it is the place where you are living, breathing, drinking water, and meeting neighbors. Uh, The second book that I picked for today, it's called The Geography of Bliss by Eric Weiner. As a foreign correspondent for NPR, Weiner found himself more often than not in places where people are decidedly not happy. He reported from war zones and famines and natural disasters. He reports on people whose lives are extraordinarily hard, especially in that moment. So it's no surprise that he didn't always feel exactly upbeat. So he makes a decision to spend a year looking for the world's unheralded happy places. He begins in the Netherlands where a sociologist has, I am not making this up, created the world database of happiness. (laughs) But the questions arise immediately. What qualities make life happy? What qualities make a place conducive to happiness? And how much do cultural values contribute to what people understand as happiness? To answer these questions, Weiner travels to 10 countries, some you may expect like Switzerland and others that may seem a bit more surprising like Bhutan and Qatar. His journalistic abilities, his openness to other cultures, and most importantly, his incredible sense of humor result in a thoughtful tour through the relationship between place and contentment.
2: Well, and as we know, Ron Swanson already said that there is no sadness that can't be cured by breakfast food. So
3: it's like I knew what what your theme was for today and I I fit right in there.
2: You know, whenever there's a theme that's breakfast food, I have a lot of opinions. So <laughs> um well, so my recommendation is a little bit on the nose and I I have to point out so, you know, that for those of you listening that you don't know, Margie and I pick these independently and then we come together and say, "Hey, what are you picking?" Well, we both picked this book that I'm going to talk about because it's kind of the the book that I think is the precursor to Nick Offerman's new book it's by Connor Knighton and it's called Leave only Footprints it came out in hardcover last year and it's recently out in paperback Connor Knighton is a CBS Sunday morning correspondent which is a terrific TV show and he does a lot of nature reporting for them he decided to write this book after he had an engagement that had broken up and he decided over the course of a year that he was going to visit every national park in the United States and write a book about his journey to do so. So it's part memoir, think uh, Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson, where he's talking about his friends, his experiences, the people that he meets, but also uh, gives you kind of this pretty quick overview of all of the national parks. And I, I read this last spring during the pandemic, when it was really in full force and everything was shut down. And I got to tell you, this book was, it was escape for me. It, it reminded me of the wonderful things about nature that are out there and really kind of shine the light on the wonderful gift that we have in the United States with our national parks. So I would recommend this as just a wonderful, uplifting kind of read about nature and our connection to it and also maybe some of the problems that exist with the national parks as well and some of the history and how they got there so connor Knighton, leave only footprints now out in paperback well guys that is your tbr top off and thanks for listening i am james
3: and i am margie
2: and have a great week we will talk to you next time
3: happy reading
2: poured over is a barnes noble production the show is available on apple spotify and stitcher Please rate
0: and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.